0: Everybody, welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall? A podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala. I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. It is my curse, my burden. But uh, in this, at this time of year, it, it is it serves me. I think. Uh, I think people maybe look to me for some sort of uh, strange expertise. Anyway, with me as always is my co-host. She is the voice of the people the uh little devil on my shoulder Kristen Studdard. how are you Kristen?
1: Hello I'm pretty good wearing devilish red today uh and uh ready to do also I don't do any preparation and I have no idea what we're talking about today, which right. is exciting for me let us,
0: let us remind the audience and our guest really uh that you come in relatively blind. you do you are probably guessing that we are starting our nominee based episodes yes uh, which we you know do annually once the ballot drops uh and so let's bring in our guest uh he's an author who's written about many subjects with an emphasis on texas whether that means books about the dallas cowboys steve rayvon selena or willie nelson joe nick petosky welcome joe hi thank you joe how are you guys doing We're, we're doing okay we're in the the throes of ballot season which is exciting for our show, it's the most excitement that our show gets. And then after everything happens, we wait around for six months. But right now we really have we have something to talk about. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, you, you've you never been on the show before. Our listeners do not know you. And I, so I want to get an idea of who you are with some questions. We'll start with just, you know, the Rock Hall is a peripheral entity for a lot of people. It's not something that uh, a lot of people know about, certainly not as much as I do. But what's your reference level for the Rock Hall?
2: Well, my reference level is being aware of it. And then in 2016, actually visiting the Rock Hall and getting to go through the stacks in the back and Ooh. look at all the, the research tools that are available while I I screened a film that I directed on a musician named Doug Somm, uh, Sir Doug in the Genuine Texas Cosmic Groove. And despite the fact uh, Doug Somm should be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and isn't, I'm still uh, uh, open to all possibilities and still have a lot of hope. But uh, I had a great time going up there and getting getting the full treatment and uh, and seeing what it's like. And I actually had the benefit of a few months earlier, I'd uh, screened the film at the Country Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. So I kind of compared apples mm. and oranges mm-hmm. to punk music. Uh, they're both pretty dedicated places and uh, they both have these great research wings. For people like me, if I had a subject that I, I needed to dig into, uh, I would be going back to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and losing myself in your stacks.
0: Right. We, and we, we've heard that from a few authors that, you know, kind of the, the secret sauce of the hall is that you can go and access these archives and they have so much information, so much uh, you could do research-wise that is really invaluable.
2: Uh, it, it 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 was great. And I just haven't had a chance or a reason to come back and, uh, and, and abuse my, abuse your hospitality and the hall's (laughs) hospitality. They said, come on back and do something. I just haven't had a subject that I've needed to come back and and go to, but it's great. I mean, you know, up until the nineties, there was no, nothing representing rock and roll. And, you know, country music hall of fame has had uh, several decades jump on the ball.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: But it's, you know, both are to me as uh, someone who's made a, a career out of writing about music, uh, uh, they are the, probably two of the most important institutions in music as far as I'm concerned. So uh, it's, um, y'all do the, the Lord's work and uh, I appreciate what you do. LOL.
0: And I appreciate you uh,
2: ever uh, nominated and considered uh, Willie Nelson. Uh, it's another one of those that, you know, I, I'm a cranky old music writer. So it's like, there's always a, oh, it's about time well willie's about time so i'm i'm glad he's nominated and i have all expectations he will be inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame
0: yeah that's a that's a a wise thought we we're, we're with you on that one yeah
1: we definitely the second part for sure it's interesting that you keep you're giving us credit as though we are the hall rock, uh, we are now uh, figureheads as well for the hall, Joe.
0: Yeah. Uh, by I mean, association, I'm sorry. I am suppose, yeah. but yeah, at this point, five years in, you know, we, we certainly know We know a lot of people. Do we have an impact? Do we have any influence that's up for debate, but, uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's look at, let's look at this year's ballot. Uh, in, as, as a means of getting to know you, mm. um, <laughs> Boy, that's a loaded question. <laughs> well, you know, let's pretend like you're a voter. A voter gets the ballot. They can choose up to five names uh, off of this ballot, and they don't have to choose five. I mean, if if you wanted to, and this would be revealing of your character potentially, you could say I'm voting for Willie Nelson and nobody else, and I'm I'm putting my ballot in. But looking yeah. at, this, at this ballot, what would you do and how would you choose?
2: You know, I, I, I would say just, look, I've been writing about music, for over 50 years professionally and uh so my opinion's my take on rock and roll is fairly catholic and you know it's very distinct and i don't want to say it's it's narrow but i also understand the rock and roll hall of fame has a very big tent so it goes both ways but the the catholic part of me goes through the uh looking through the ballot and it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't difficult at all that if i had to choose Uh, four other artists besides Willie. And of course, Willie's at the top of the list. No brainer, you know, White Stripes, Rage Against the Machine, uh, Warren Zevon, Iron Maiden, bang. Uh, So it's like not that expansive.
0: Mm -hmm. but A a pretty,
1: yeah, guitar forward. uh,
0: rockist, you might even call it. Yeah,
1: rockist, some might call it, yeah. Look,
2: I'm 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 part of a, a weekly Zoom group and it includes a high official with South by Southwest, Uh, another music critic, a working music DJ on on the radio. And we all kind of kicked this around when it came up, you know, Willie, you know, you think he deserves to be in the rock and roll hall of fame. And, you know, there was some back and forth, you know, is he rock enough and all this, but it really boiled down to the easy way to go say, yeah, Willie is Dolly Parton's in. It's like, I love Dolly Parton. I consider her music to be pop music, not rock and roll. And in that respect, that's a no-brainer because Willie has so much of a rock and roll element over the course of his career that has reared its head consistently through his career. So yeah, if Dolly's in, uh, my my argument would be that why wasn't Willie in ten years ago?
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: that's 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 kind of my thinking that to be inclusive and bringing in country music, Willie is the icon. He's not just the icon of Texas music. He's the icon of American music. And when he passes, and this is where you got to get serious about it when he passes. And I hope uh, I've passed already. Cause I couldn't, I couldn't stand to see that day. He's got over 800 tracks in the can.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: I mean, he told me this, he had six, 700 in, in the can 15 years ago. So you're going to be hearing new Willie Nelson into the 22nd. Season. <laughs>
0: uh-huh. Right. And
2: not even Elvis can make that claim. And I don't think Elvis became Elvis completely until after Elvis had passed. And I don't think a lot of people that take Willie for granted now, or, you know, he's, uh, he, it, 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 if you're going to get high, there's no better guy to smoke, uh, <laughs> guy or 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 man or woman to smoke weed with than Willie, because he's the gold standard. There's all kinds of Willies, you know, the fr- friend of the family farmer, independent cat but above all he's he's this music maker that his body of work no one comes close so yeah put him in
1: we are definitely that's going to be the majority of this episode that we are definitely going to talk about all that i am very what do you talk about on this zoom that you hang out with all these uh you know industry insiders all these uh mucky mucks in the in the music biz
2: we don't try we don't talk music that much we talk about you know What's going on in Austin? Um, no, I mean, we'll talk about if we've seen bands that we really like or who we don't like. There was a lot of talk uh, a couple weeks ago when Lawrence Wright, Larry Wright, uh, who's probably the best writer in Austin, had a piece in the New Yorker, uh, which was kind of his meditation on what's become of Austin in the 50 years he's been here. Mm. I wrote a book three years ago called Austin to ATX they kind of cover that same subject. And, you know, it's this of going from little cool creative community to this, you know, this international destination for people. Um, and, you know, all of the people that we talk that are in my group are old enough that we've seen this 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 evolution. And there's, you know, that's always a with a lot of complaints about oh, what we've lost and all that. But it's also, you know, what have you heard new? Who do you like? And we have been arguing, the radio DJ and I are on opposite sides of the coin uh, about Charlie Crockett. I think Charlie Crockett's kind of a continuum of this whole, what Willie started in people like Jerry Jeff Walker, uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard, uh, uh, Michael Martin Murphy, all these people in the early 70s, Willis Allen Ramsey, all these cats with three names. Um, But what started with what was called progressive country or this blend of traditional country with rock and roll and folk elements, that's, you know, whatever it is today, whatever Austin music means, it's the home of Austin city limits, the longest running television series in music. All that stemmed from what was happening in the early seventies. So it's been kind of, it's been a wild ride to see it grow and become much bigger than what the little town it once was. Uh, And sometimes, you know, you shake your head about some of these knuckleheads that come into town, and think they own it. Uh, but uh, <laughs> it, It's still, you know, wherever you go, it, you come back and you realize there's still this unique, there's a groove to it that doesn't exist elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh,
1: meanwhile, you know, I'm uh, over here like Charlie Crockett, putting it into my Google. And according to the genres on the main page, when he comes up, it says genres, blues, country, and then Americana, which I think is kind of like what that kind of hybrid of, you know, folk and country and rock and roll kind of has come to be under that umbrella of like Americana kind of
2: vibe. Americana started in Austin in 1972. And I'd, I'd argue it was early when Jerry Wexler signed Willie Nelson and Doug Somme to Atlantic Nashville, which was the new specialty label that the Erdogan brothers had given to to Wexler. And what does he do? He goes and signs signs a forty year old has been from Nashville that RCA couldn't get across. Chet Atkins couldn't get across. That's Willie, and Doug Som had come back from San Francisco, and was an obscure guy. And you know Nashville wasn't hearing any of this. The label didn't last long before the record pulled the plug. But artistically, that was what you know. Jerry Wexler had a big role. He wanted to get into country, but he also showed people that were country leaning. Here's your possibilities.
1: Well, and fellow it's... Hall of Famer Jerry Wexler, also he's. I mean, in the, yeah, we're are talking hall. a lot of a lot of you're hall names. Saying, obviously... You're dropping a lot of names that are. i now the the path is becoming clearer as far as how we how did we get here? Not just Dolly, with regard to like how did we get here to Willie on the ballot? Because I think Dolly is kind of the obvious. Like she opened the door, and so now. Yeah. But I guess thinking back to kind of, you know, all of the behind the scenes people who have also been inducted and are so heavily known and involved with the hall. It's, it's a, the dominoes are starting to line up for me. <laughs> well, there really was a
2: connectivity and, you know, the, the story behind that is it was not a successful venture. And, and for Doug Som, I don't think he ever kind of got back to what he was, you know, what he was getting with Atlantic and wherever his arc was, he ended up having a very rich uh, career for 30 some odd years. But what it did was with Willie is, when Jerry took him to uh, to Atlant- uh, Atlantic Studios in New York, where all these people, you know, famous people, Aretha's recorded there, everybody's recorded there. Uh, Willie was still in this country frame of mind, where he's like, if you were working on the national assembly line for RCA, you work in three hour spurts and you got it all done quick. So Willie set a record that in one week, at Atlantic Records, he he recorded not one but two albums. And then
0: <laughs> and,
2: it, and it had horns and it had uh it had it it had some funk in it. It was not a country album. And then within you know, within that year, all of a sudden Willie's live band expands and he's carrying two drummers and two bass players. I mean, this is like you know, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but when I first saw him, which was right around this time. I'd known about them growing up in Fort Worth. I grew up in Fort Worth. And all throughout the 1960s, there was an independent television station called Channel 11, KTVT. And on Saturday night, they would play all the syndicated country music shows leading up to wrestling and roller derby at midnight. And it would start with the Cowtown Jamboree, which was a, a music show basically- <laughs> Which sounds them.
1: made up. <laughs>
0: that sounds
1: made up. That sounds like a thing
2: that someone says was on Yeah. No, but so he he plays the. They have the countdown jamboree, and it's basically uh, a thirty-minute show to hype Uh, the acts are going to be at Panther Hall, the country music ballroom that night. And Willie was always on TV. He was there so much you thought he lived in Fort Worth, not that he was living in Nashville and driving down to Texas every weekend because Texas was, uh, it's where he could work and play and make money, and. He came to Nashville as a songwriter, an extremely successful songwriter, and, but almost immediately, you know, Ray Price, Fair and Young, for whom Willie wrote hit songs for, hey man, uh, don't go out on the road. Willie was playing with Ray Price his Cherokee Cowboys, part of the band at first, uh, and uh, Farron Young both said, so, you know, stay in, stay in Nashville and write songs for you, we'll all get rich. And they didn't understand Willie, it wasn't enough Willie writing songs for them. He wanted to be them. So his period in Nashville from 1960 to 1972 was about a very successful songwriter who kept trying to get himself across as a recording artist.
1: That's another Dolly Parton parallel as well. And early on, the only place he could do
2: that was Texas. And he played so much. I mean, he did that 18 hour drive all every week. So I saw him on TV, but he was just a smiling country music guy. Now, in 1965, he did a live album uh at Panther Hall, which was this, it was the best country joint in Dallas or Fort Worth at the time. And he did an album called uh it was called Live Country Music. And it was live at Panther Hall. And it's very telling that he does it with two players behind him. Uh he plays guitar. He had a fiddler, Wade, Wade Ray, and he had a drummer, Johnny Bush. And that's it, a three-piece. And this live recording is still, I mean, it's much treasured and and talked about. But it's very interesting because in his set, he's kind of he does a lot of his songs. He does his medleys of the songs he's famous for, his country songs. But he does some new originals. And then he does Yesterday by the Beatles. And there's not many country people, period, in 1965 that are acknowledging this this new act coming out of England, the Beatles. Willie's on to him. It's not in his sound so much, but the fact he covered the Beatles showed me. uh, Then you can see he's got an open mind and he's really kind of looking for a sound. Okay, fast forward from 1965. I saw him in 1973 in Austin. That was the first time. Uh, He had finally moved to Austin that year and settled down for good, actually in 1972. I moved to Austin in 1973 in August. In October, the local Ford dealership, Mac Morris Ford, uh had to show off the <laughs> new nineteen seventy-four Fords. And so you they advertised Willie Nelson country music, free hot dogs, and and free Cokes. <laughs> Perfect. And they cleared out the body shop.
1: There you go. Those they cleared out the body the trifecta. shop the
2: big old dealership. And there was a band playing on on a, on the flatbed trailer. You know, this was like classic car dealer country music. Uh, function in texas free hot dogs by the way too and you know you sat around and you watched this band cranking and he he w- was at the point he hadn't expanded to two drummers yet or two bass players it, that would happen within the year but it was just a kind of a typical country music set running through his hits uh funny how time slips away crazy uh all all the songs that he was known for but in the middle of a song called bloody Mary morning which he had already recorded a couple times in Nashville. And then he recorded it once for Jerry Wexler on, on this new album that was just coming out. Uh, in the middle of, of Bloody Mary morning, the band takes off and they go into a jam. And listen, I had seen the year before, I saw the Auburn brothers with Dwayne and Dickie play two weeks before Dwayne died. I saw them in Dallas. Wow. And I'd seen the Grateful Dead uh, a couple years earlier. And what I was seeing on this, in this car lot in the body <laughs> in, in, in the garage of this car lot on a flatbed trailer, I was hearing a jam band again.
3: Mm-hmm. And I
2: hadn't heard a jam like that since the Almonds or the Grateful Dead. Now are we talking, can we talk about what's rock and roll and what's country See, music? now
1: you're getting me. I knew this was going to happen. I mean, I was prepared to, have, to be swayed by feeling like... Willie is more I've been prepared. I've been ready. I've had my mind, you know, open. I wouldn't say the door is wide open for me to be like, yeah, you know what? Let's go, Willie. I, for me, my whole, uh, reticence about Willie with the hall is like, this was the fear that we had when Dolly got inducted was that suddenly we now have to induct all the country greats. And there's a backlog of, of other genres of music that don't have their own hall of fame that have yet to be inducted. Like this, that's my, my biggest kind of qualm with this induction is like Willie Nelson, obviously a legend, obviously an icon words that I've used to describe Dolly Parton, who I love very much and was very happy that she is included in the hall. But I was like, Oh no, I don't necessarily want this to become. Now we have to get all the greats in from country because we've gotten some of them in already. Yes, I understand, but. you haven't
2: got Waylon and Merlin uh, and, and right. Okay. So uh, here's my argument though. Sure. What I've seen in the country in, in the rock and roll hall of fame in this effort to be more inclusive, done a very good job in working, you know, rhythm and blues, soul, even disco and, and, and funk. But I think, you know, that's great. That's if you're looking at the macro issue, what is rock and roll? That's part of it, but you left out the country part. And to me that's rock and roll came out of, uh, you know, whether you want to argue equal parts, whatever rhythm and blues and cut in country and Western mm-hmm. uh, collide colliding and merging. that's rock and roll. Cause rock all that stuff. That lean more country than rhythm and blues. Mm-hmm. So it it to me it's kind of a natural progression to if you're gonna include rhythm and blues, if you're gonna include the spinners, you damn well better include Willie
1: Nelson. And yet they don't include the spinners yet. Yeah, and, and it's it's doubtful <laughs> they will.
0: But yeah, <laughs> I, I mean point. the complicated issues are, you know, it seems as though the rock hall defined itself for decades with a relatively solid line uh, dividing the two. Because, like, why why would Willie only be considered? Because he's never been on a ballot. Why would he only be considered now? It seems as though, especially since the Country Music Hall of Fame had been well established, I think it's early 60s. I think possibly the Country Music Hall of Fame started before the Beatles even released a record. Yep. So that uh, history and lineage is so defined before even what you could call the the heyday of rock and roll, it felt very separate. And that just seemed to be based on who's being inducted into the rock hall, how they're operating. And you can say like, oh, yes, now that it's more inclusive. What Kristen was saying is, you know, there's so many, you know, the biggest argument about the hall's mismanagement is the huge backlog of very worthy artists who are not in, still waiting to get in. And what's a little bit frustrating about uh, including country is that you almost double the list. Like if you're saying, okay, country now is involved, belongs, suddenly this backlog of artists you have to get in gets so much wider because like you said, I mean, starting with relatively foundational like Waylon and Merle, uh, and then just you think about all the artists who are eligible beyond them, it just becomes a little bit overwhelming
2: there's probably a list of, of what i would like my guy doug some i was asking in 2016 what's it going to take to get him in the in the hall and it was kind of explained the 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 balloting system and all that and i thought well you know he's not going to get elected in the rock and roll hall of fame but i got him in the hall with this movie i got to screen it there and everybody loved it it was a, mm-hmm. it was a great house uh got great stories from people that showed up uh uh, it, it, it was a great cathartic experience for me, just liking the guy and there'd be kind of a campaign, get Doug in the rock and roll hall of fame. That ain't going to happen.
0: And, and so, been but, it been nominated. Sir Douglas Quintet has been on the ballot before once.
1: Wait, for real? In
0: 2006. And I think our, our friend Greg Geller is the one who, uh, who nominated him. I would not be surprised
2: that, that mm-hmm. Greg
0: Geller, because
2: he's a big champion, but you know, it's the same thing. I, I was in the, at the country music hall of fame. There's a guy that's, I mean, a real heavyweight in the history of country music, a guy named H.W. Pappy Daly. And he had a, a record empire in Houston. He broke people like George Jones, another person who should be in the rock hall. Uh, but he, he got all these people in, and his uh, his grandson plays with George Strait. And he kind of complained to me, he said, You know, he's never been recognized by the Country Music Hall of Fame. Pappy Daly's not in the Country Music Hall of Fame. And I went and started asking people there. And there is, there's like a legacy uh, track, but it is so stacked up with other people that also deserve to be in there. I mm-hmm. can't wait saying happy. Now he's not going to be in the country music hall of fame. That's just the way that the system's going and how you keep expanding it. He's just kind of at the back of the line and times not, you know, he's dead times not on his side. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's, it's important for an institution like the rock and roll hall of fame to be sensitive to what's going on in the in the here and now and how it reflects into the past. So I got, you know, I, I think it's completely natural and some people may have blanched way back when when James Brown gets in, but you know, mm-hmm. that's no question in my mind, mm-hmm. but at the same time, when I think of James Brown in the rock and roll hall of fame, my logic from what I've been raised on, you know, w- Willie is as natural as James Brown, even though they're, Two different uh, musical
0: artists, very different.
1: Very, artists. yeah, different genre ends of the genre.
0: Yeah, and you know what's kind of interesting is there's a little bit of a reflection happening at the Country Music Hall of Fame. Just when I think about last year, Ray Charles was finally inducted. This year, Jerry Lee Lewis, like two artists who were in the first year of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, are now you know finally getting into the Country Music Hall of Fame. It's a, it's a there's some parallels going on. I see where the, the net is being widened in both institutions.
2: It blows my mind that it took this long for Jerry Lee. Yeah. Right. But now Ray mm-hmm. Charles, you know, the modern sounds of, 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 country and Western music, that album, that was one that I picked up on when Willie hit the road with Ray Price and his Cherokee Cowboys, 1960 or 61. He's writing songs, making money, but he wanted to play and he wanted to perform and he wanted to be Ray Price. The band was all listening. That was one of their favorite albums that they listened to. They were listening to jazz, but they were listening to Ray Charles, and especially when he crossed over and singing country. We hear country, and we look at these guys dressed in nudie suits and think they're country, but they were hepcats. cats. They were jazz players uh, wearing boots, cowboy boots, mm-hmm. and, and they, they thought of themselves as, you know, they, they were improvisationalists. They could play it tight when you had to play the hit song, but when they were given time to stretch, Ernest Tubbs' Texas Troubadours, I mean, Ernest Tubb. everybody thinks that's, you can't get any more country than that. Ernest Tubbs' Texas Trou- Troubadours, you got to listen to hear, hear them play Red Top, which Ray Benson of Asleep at the Wheel told me when the band first started, they sought out the Troubadours because they were jazz players. But people didn't look at them as jazz players. They thought they were hillbillies.
0: Well, I got to ask you, I want to make sure we get to this. Uh, okay. You wrote, you wrote a book about Willie Nelson. Yeah. And
2: I've been a biography.
0: I want to know uh, what led you to, to the decision to write about Willie. Yeah. You know,
2: I moved to Austin in 1973. Uh, I'd been uh, running a record store in Minneapolis called the electric fetus still there, but I got homesick and um, I wanted to write and I'd, I'd sent in a, a, a blind review of this guy, Doug Somm, a, a kind of an outtake album that Mercury put out when Atlantic put out their uh, the album with, with Bob Dylan on it and Dr. John. And I wrote about the album that, no you know, the cheap throwaway that Mercury put out. And I sent in a review to Cream Magazine, and I got a letter back from uh, Lester Bangs, along with a $30 check, saying, wow. you write really good, you know, you ought to, you ought to do more for, stuff for us. And I was kind of empowered. I'd, I'd been trying to do some, did a little bit of reviewing. So I'm moving back to Texas and I'm going to write about music in Texas. I'm not going to move to New York, not interested in LA, Nashville, forget it. That's, that's, it creeped me out. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to go back to Texas and there's this new scene coming up, but it wasn't in Fort Worth where I grew up. It was in Austin and I'd been reading Chet Flippo and Rolling Stone and Cream who had been reporting, filing reports from Austin and uh, some, something was happening. So I wanted to uh, to move to Austin, and I did, and within the first or second month, not only did I see Willie play at the car lot, I interviewed Willie for a <laughs> a third-rate music magazine. I shouldn't say third-rate because there's people still like a magazine <laughs> called uh, Zoo World, uh-huh. which was, I got my foot in the door with the Zoo World magazine, and I interviewed Willie at Coke FM, which was the world's only progressive country radio station at the time. Whoa where you could hear the Rolling Stones and Ernest Tub back to back. Wow. And, and then where Willie Nelson would come in with Chris Christopherson and do an impromptu concert just because they wanted to play. It was that kind of a deal. So I interviewed Willie, and, and I remember watching him before I interviewed him at, at Coke. He was being interviewed in, in a boardroom by Chet Flippo. And I knew who Chet Flippo was, and it was kind of like, you know, this is the kind of the guy I want to be. And I was watching Willie, and it was like such a trip because he had – he had a headband on. His hair was kind of getting a little bit long. He dressed like all of us did. He had a t-shirt and cutoffs and running shoes. And kind of the only giveaway was he had a little diamond horseshoe pinky ring. He had a stud in his earring and no country mm-hmm. guys were wearing studs in his earring. I looked back and I realized I was probably asking really stupid questions, but he was very kind and open and answered everything that I asked. And from then on, whether it was Rolling Stone, uh, I became a staff writer at Texas Monthly magazine. I I would visit Willie at least once or twice a year. Early on, up until seventy five, I was reporting on him pretty steadily because this thing phenomenally started the picnics uh, every Fourth of July. Became a, a deal. They were they were our Woodstock in Texas. Willie Nelson picnics, and again, oh. Willie would would invite his friends like Waylon. Uh, 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 Billy Joe Shaver, Chris Christofferson, but his friends pretty quickly expanded to people like Leon Russell. He met Leon in Austin in 1973, and that's when Leon Russell is the master of space and time. He's set up shop in Tulsa with his own recording complex. He's got, he's got shelter records. He's got a bunch of people recording for him. He's into this new thing called video, so he's got shelter vision. And when Willie met him, and this is just when Leon is fixing to do his retro album, Hank Wilson's Back, in which this rock and roller goes and does country because he's a Tulsa guy. He knows all these styles. So Leon's fixing to do Hank uh, Hank Wilson's Back and Willie is like in between his Atlantic albums. And when he meets Leon Russell, it's pretty clear Willie wants to be Leon. You know, you've got a whole empire here, right? In Tulsa, of all places, I can do the same here in Austin. And Leon wants to be Willie because Willie is that authentic country cat that Leon is aspiring to be on Hank Wilson's back. Mm-hmm. So It begins this friendship and relationship that, you know, by 1980, they're making albums together. They tour together. Is that not rock and roll? Part of this argument, when I saw Willie nominated, I do a radio show it's broadcast out of Marfa, and uh, and Wimberley. It's called the Texas Music Hour Power, and I play all kinds of Texas music, going back to the beginning of recorded music to the here and now. And the other day, I played "Good Hearted Woman," which was a song that Willie and Waylon Jennings made famous and was a hit, and it crossed over into onto the pop charts from from country. But I played the version that Willie and Leon recorded. At the Capitol Theater for WNEW, which was an album rock station in New York, in 1980,
3: and I played it. it so and
2: warmer, and time, you tell me that's not rock and roll? We got some head to do. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, it, it's knocked out. It's 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 frenzied. They they do a lot of improvisation. Uh, they're harmonizing together, and that relationship was one of those things that to me really solidified uh if you want to look at Willie as this multi-musical guy beyond country music his relationship with Leon really set that tone mm-hmm. and it continued on and like in the 1990s does tours with the Grateful Dead Willie Nelson and the Grateful Dead together and they jam the band the different musicians for both bands jam together he does the ballpark tour with Bob Dylan and you know it's Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan that's it and their buddies guilt by association.
0: No, I mean totally. I mean genre distinctions aside though, you know, one of the other frustrating things about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is they do not really publish a list of criteria that uh makes an artist eligible or a worthy inductee into the rock and roll hall of fame every voter kind of has to come up with their own categories and every voter
1: uh, every podcaster
2: i I think that's
0: to everyone's benefit what i've done is i've actually come up with a list of of my own categories that i think if an artist does well in those categories it builds a good case for induction so what i want to do is i want to take a quick break and then when we come back let's uh, evaluate willie nelson uh, via those categories so
3: we'll be right back 50 to get 50% off that's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off
0: welcome back to the show everybody we hope you had a nice break we hope over your break you uh said something nice Yep. to yourself to someone else doesn't matter all right so willie nelson became eligible for the rocker hall of fame as early as the hall existed so you know the 1986 ceremony. He released his first single in 1957, which easily puts him as eligible for that first class. And that single was "No Place for Me," which is a 78 second song. Willie has never been on a ballot before. This is his first appearance in 2023. Although he does have a history with the Hall of Fame, he inducted the Almond Brothers Band. In 1995, and even, I think even more interestingly than that, at the end of that evening, he performed at the ceremony with another inductee in 1995, Al Green, and mm-hmm. they did "Funny How Time Slips Away," which <laughs> is a song Willie wrote, uh, and many people covered it, but I think Al Green was the one who had the biggest hit with it. And they do a duet on it, and it's it's great. You can watch it on YouTube. It's amazing.
3: And
1: One of Willie's many duets.
0: Yes, yeah, so well, the king, the king of the duet, Willie <laughs> the Nelson. King of the duet. Well,
1: that was a weird thing because
2: funny, funny how time slips away. Was one of his third first the triad that got him over in Nashville? Hello Walls and Crazy. Those were songs that all became hits. And Funny was recorded uh, traditionally, but it also crossed over to pop. But it, it kind of sh- sold as R and B. And Joe Hinton, who had recorded for the Duke Peacock. Uh, Empire out of Houston and did a version that was very popular in the early '60s. This was before Al Green, but this is this is where he, you really get into it. That, that Al Green knows a soulful song. Willie mm-hmm. sings, he writes uh, many of, tunes. Are what I would consider to be white man blues. It's it. He just happens to be white, but he's singing blues. And in fact, his read before he got to Nashville the year before in 1959. And then into 60, uh, he was in Houston trying to make it. And it's before he went to Nashville and he was recording for Pappy Daly on D Records. Uh, He was a recording artist. D was a a regional country label uh, that had a lot of artists, but he recorded this song Nightlife and it was so soulful and bluesy. Pappy Daly would not release the record. It sounded too black. And he wasn't going to put a record out like that. So Instead, that record finally came out under the title of Paul Buskirk and His Merry Men, featuring Hugh Nelson. The nightlife ain't a good life, but it's my life. Paul Buskirk was the uh, led the backing band on this recording session. It's got xylophones on it. It's got Herb Remington, the great steel player that Freddie King covered. It's a great song, but. D wouldn't put it out, so Willie put it out on his own. So when he got to Nashville, and he's playing his songs at Tootsie's for other songwriters and kind of getting discovered, they know about nightlife. And they also know that he wrote the song Family Bible, which he sold to Claude Gray for $50 because he needed the money.
3: family Bible on the table.
2: Claude Gray had the hit, and it didn't have Willie's name on it, but people in the business knew about it. So uh, he always had... You know, he always had soul of soulful edge. He talks about or talked to me about picking cotton as a kid, which this is a great experience of a lot of uh, American musicians of his period of time. And when he picked cotton, he heard black music and he heard uh, Mexican music being sung because that's what the workers sang. And there were a lot of blacks and, and Mexicans in the field. But at the same time, when he was like eight years old, he liked to play guitar. His parents, grandparents were singing school teachers. They raised he, he, uh, Willie and his sister uh, on music and, and how to play music. And so he joined his neighbor's band. John Raycheck was a man uh, who led a polka band, a Czech polka band. And it was like 15 pieces and it was all brass, but they let their neighbor, little Willie, come and play with them once. And he got paid $8 for, for the gig. And he saw that $8 and it's like, that's what he'd make in a full day of, of picking cotton mm-hmm. and that's the last time he picked cotton I'm know, he did the math real quick he's gonna be a music guy i'm sure so but he absorbed all these different sounds even though you're raised certainly during that period of time in rural texas uh you're an anglo person you're probably going to steer country and not to, to blues or rock and roll rock and roll was too new
0: back then when he's growing up right mm-hmm. right so we talked we were already talking a little bit about some of these songs, some that he written, some that he's recorded. The first category here is iconic slash recognizable songs. And from a country perspective, we could spend hours on this. But I think both for the purposes of time and the purposes mm-hmm. of our discussion with the rock hall, I want to talk about what songs do we think people who aren't necessarily country fans, would know. And we can also look at this from the perspective of a rock and roll magazine, Rolling Stone, which puts out occasionally different lists of the 500 greatest songs total. And I guess my question I, I pose to you guys is do you think Rolling Stone put any Willie songs? Oh
1: my gosh, we're back to this. Wow. Okay. We haven't yeah, done this, this in a long a time. A
0: do you think any Willie songs? Are iconic enough to make the Rolling Stone list of the 500 greatest songs.
2: Oh, um, sure, I'd probably say "Crazy" is is what jumps to mind because that that made Patsy Cline's career.
3: Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling
1: so lonely.
2: It really became an anthem. I think in the in you know in the late 20th century, it was a standard in every lesbian bar uh, in the United States that was on the jukebox for some reason It was the way Patsy sung it, but that song was just like it, it resonated outside of what you would consider its
0: traditional realm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's correct. We, we, we got one on the board, uh, Crazy has been on every iteration of this list. The most recent one, it was at 195.
1: And it's yeah, currently okay. being sung at karaoke somewhere in the world. Somewhere at Every 10 minutes, cosmically. you can guarantee cosmically Crazy is being sung at a karaoke bar somewhere on this planet. Yeah.
2: So that that has a lot of resonance. The, th- the thing is, when he became uh, popular as Willie, the guy we know today, you know, Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain broke him, and that was an old country standard. He didn't write it.
3: And twilight blow my sea Blue eyes cry in the rain
2: In Blue Skies, when he did Stardust, which, talk about, you know, uh, he always went against the grain. Uh, <laughs> Columbia didn't want to put out uh, uh, Redheaded uh Red Headed Stranger, the 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 song cycle album that included Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain that really broke Willie nationally. Uh they didn't want to put it out. They thought it was a good demo. But mm-hmm. Willie's manager had had negotiated for uh artistic control. And so Columbia put it out against everybody's, you know, all the internal brass. Billy Cheryl wanted to take it to Nashville and and make it give it more of that Nashville sound. They put it out and it was, you know, a million seller and what does he do? He follows that up with uh, Stardust, which is Willie Nelson and Booker T. Jones, and Booker T. and the MGS
0: getting together
2: and just, and picking out their favorite songs they grew up with from the American Songbook, and puts that out.
0: So uh, he defies expectation. He goes yeah. against what a what a country artist is supposed to do, and I'd say that's pretty rock and roll uh, from an attitude perspective. <laughs>
2: Well, definitely when he's blowing up and Nashville didn't like it. And the response was RCA getting together some of these old tracks and they already, they still had Waylon Jennings and they put out Wanted the Outlaws. Now you got to understand that's a Nashville sell. It's a hype. No one was talking outlaw music. There in Texas, it was Cosmic Cowboys. Outlaws, come on, what is this? But that was a Nashville confection, but that's what it took. So good hearted woman which came out of that would be maybe another uh standard that has some resonance. So you mentioned
0: know. you mentioned blue eyes crying in the rain which is yeah. on there. It's it that's is, been on, it is that's been Damn. on every iteration of the list. Most recently it was at 253. So that's a second one. There's only one other one and I would say in my opinion as a person who did not really grow up with country doesn't know country yeah. as a genre very well there is one Willie Nelson song that I definitely knew and could sing the melody to.
1: Would you say it's on the road again? It's on the road
0: again. On Going
3: places that I've never been. Seeing things that I may never yeah. see again. I can't wait to get on the road again.
1: For me as a non-country person, on the road again, and you are always on my mind, are like probably the two songs that I associate most with Willie Nelson.
2: You are always on my mind. Willie appropriated that. He he stole it. It's his <laughs> song, not Elvis's anymore. Right. No, yeah. it's mm-hmm.
3: his it's yeah. his biggest
0: pop you hit. You were
3: always on my mind. You were always on my mind.
2: That's Willie's song. He owns it by mm-hmm. the way he sings it. By the way he sings it. But yeah. On the road again, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, I there's a lot of Willie music that was done for the uh the movie *Honeysuckle Rose*, which Willie appears in, and, and uh, inspired Slim Pickens to say, "No one plays Willie Nelson any better than Willie Nelson does." It's kind of his left-handed compliment. But <laughs> so Sidney so Pollack needed a song for the album. Uh, I mean, for the soundtrack. He, Willie, can you write something? Uh, so, you know, something about being on the road. And so Willie just said, "You mean like on the road again? Can't wait to get on the road again." And basically, <laughs> in his head wrote a song in a New York minute. Uh And it, it, it is to me, this anthem of American mobility that it's just, you know, and it's, it's an American song. It's the idea of just, you know, we've got, we've got these highways that we travel and that's where we, we dream and we, we explore. Uh, Mm -hmm. and, and, and as far as a music person who travels from town to town, I can't wait to get on the road again. Willie, loves the road and it's which is at this stage in his life as he turns 90 he can't he can't go do one-nighters on the bus like he used to but he still he loves the idea of the road and what it represents and you know lord almighty in in the 60s in the 70s and 80s for sure the amount of miles that he put on the road are phenomenal all the way into really the late 1990s and in the mid 90s uh he kind of changed the sound of the band. Uh, So he went and they were kind of toned down up till then to see a Willie Nelson between 1972 and 1995. If you saw a Willie Nelson show, you're going to have two drummers and you're also, you're not going to, you know, Willie's going to play as long as he wants. That was what was really cool in the mid seventies is he's blowing up. They don't even know about him in Louisiana yet. And, you know, redheaded stranger hadn't come out yet. But you'd see shows that he'd play, Austin, Dallas, Houston, wherever. And, you know, you go to a show and good luck. Uh, He's (laughs) going to outplay He can go for four or five hours. And just (laughs) as long as they want. And that was kind of that Grateful Dead attitude. It's like, we're having fun. We're playing music and let's go for it. Mm
0: -hmm. And don't
2: get in the way. And it was all of a sudden, you know, instead of you go to a backstage, see anyone else, and there's probably 20 people gathered backstage. Uh, Willie Nelson backstage was all of a sudden 200 or 300 people in all walks of life from, you know, a state politico to a a well-known drug dealer
0: everybody's back (laughs)
1: everybody's (laughs) bad. which is another thing that i mean i i know i keep talking about kind of the dolly parton things but like she's a very unifying force Mm -hmm, you know it's like you have red states and blue states everybody adores her she's like a unifying connector and i think of him as a similar type of icon with regard to like you know you have like diehard country music fans you've got potheads you've got like he brings together like a a wide swath of, of types of people, Mm -hmm. uh, which is, I think, you know, uh, firmly a point in his uh, column. In
2: 1972, he's, he's moved to Austin. He's played a couple of gigs around town. He notices the hippies. He's letting his hair grow long. His daughter, Lana, Lana had gone to the Atlanta International Pop Festival and came back to Nashville and said, "Dad, I, I think there's a better place for you. And he found it in, in Austin. But it, it just, it opened his mind to the possibilities. And so he was taking risks that other people weren't taking. And it's interesting that, you know, when you mentioned Dolly, I think 75 or so is when she conscientiously relocated from Nashville to LA. Mm-hmm. You know, here, here I come again, right? Uh, came out and kind of broke her. But she did it at the expense of leaving Nashville behind. And she was pretty established in Nashville. She was making hits. Mm-hmm. Willie had tried to make hits in Nashville, but never broke through. So people in the community knew him and, you know, they all knew one another, but uh, he just wasn't able to break through. So he danced around country. And then basically, you know, when you're 40 in country music, 40 years old, you're supposed to be retire and sell insurance or just go spend all your time at the country club. That's it. You're done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here, this guy at 40 years old, comes back to his his home ground and he says,
1: him. I'm not even halfway done. I'm going to be doing <laughs> this when I'm 90. <laughs>
0: yeah. Right. Just getting started. It, it
2: barely started, but it, it's, I think it was that rock and roll attitude, which, which was, it was rife in Austin because everybody, no one's playing painting within the lines. Everybody's trying to paint outside the lines musically. Yeah. so if 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 you're uh rock and roll, you're probably adding a lot of country or 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 folk or rhythm and blues. I mean that's all these things were mixing it up and nothing was really dominant. I, I would say yeah. so in nineteen seventy two Willie sees this in Austin and he goes he shows up they're staying out in at a defunct dude ranch in Bandera. the band found sacred ground after his house Willie's house burned down in Nashville and his booking agent found him in this place at a dude ranch, and every Saturday they're playing at a place called, Flores General Store in Helotus, and the sign's still there, Willie Nelson Saturday night, the sign's still there today, but uh, they were gonna go to Austin to visit Willie's sister, Bobby, who's uh, a piano player, and she was working piano bars in Austin, and they picked up a hippie chick in their Winnebago, that's how they traveled, with this old Winnebago, and shortly after, outside of Bandera, they're on their way to Austin, they pick up a hippie chick, where are you going, I'm going to Austin too, and she had him uh, let her out at this place called the Armadillo World Headquarters, which was a hippie concert hall. And it was run by hippies. It wasn't, it went, there was no business plan. This was a collective and Willie took note. And a few weeks later he showed up in the beer garden at the Armadillo with Paul English, as, his drummer and his, his, his back, the guy that looks like the devil, very intimidating cat. Mm-hmm. And they found Eddie Wilson, uh, the head honcho at the arm, uh, armadillo and uh, the booking agent Bobby Hederman and said we want to play here and Eddie had been uh, he had run some weed up to San Francisco the year before and someone turned him on to the, Willie's album Yesterday's Wine which was very country but it was a concept album about mortality and being on earth very heavy and so when Willie said uh, you know we've been wanting to play here Willie said, "I've been waiting for you. I've been wanting you to play here." So Willie and uh, and B. Spears and Paul English. It was a three three piece again. B. Spears on bass and uh, Paul English on drums. Play the Armadillo, and it's the Armadillo is for hippies. There were a few of old Willie Nelson fans that showed up in their beehive hairdos and their uh, in their leisure. <laughs> it was the culture hippie.
1: clash, yeah.
2: And know it, but that's what it is the lions lay down with the lambs because they had this common bond. They all mm-hmm. loved Willie Nelson and what he was doing, and they all kind of settled down. You know, beer is good, pot's good. It was kind of this. Oh <laughs> yeah. Blend. So, uh, beer drinking became it was cool among hippies. Around in San Francisco, you know, you know, they didn't talk about you know br- drinking beer was all psychedelics, but in Austin. Willie playing the armadillo was this great fusion. That was the moment when everything came together and within months uh, Waylon Jennings is playing the armadillo, Tom T. Hall is playing the armadillo and they're finding these audiences that they didn't know existed and they were huge and they were rabid audiences. They they yelled and they whooped and it was like it was a rock and roll crowd but they were, they were hooping and hollering over this music that some people would have typecast as country but certainly at this time Waylon and Willie's bands live they were rock bands mm-hmm. they were rock and roll bands yeah Waylon is is you know he was mentored by Buddy Holly i think you've heard of him <laughs> right,
0: right. Yeah, yeah no absolutely i mean and there's there's kind of that i don't know if it's a fully true story about flipping a coin uh Waylon was going to be on the aircraft that then went down and uh, we, we lost Buddy Holly in that, uh, but on the, on the topic of kind of crossing over and, and mm-hmm. not being defined by the, the country lines that were drawn. Um, I just want to quickly, since we're still, I want to close out this uh, category of of songs with uh, the two biggest crossover hits of Willie's career. We talked about always on my mind, which is 1982 went to number five on the hot 100 and was a cover uh you know Brenda Lee first recorded it uh but oddly enough what I thought was interesting was when Willie did it it was a crossover to the pop charts one song of the year at the grammys but when Elvis did it it was a hit on the country charts and so it was a, it was a complete reversal of of what you would expect and then the the second Crossover hit that also went to number five on the pop charts is his duet with Julio Iglesias uh, to all the girls I've loved before.
2: Okay. We dedicate the song to all the girls we
0: So outside of the kind of country realm, those might be songs you would know because at the time they played on the radio.
2: <laughs> so this was like by this time, by 1980, Willie had bought this old country club west of town. Uh, I call it Willie World. It's Luck, Texas, uh, which has its own Western movie set because he filmed movies there. And his own studio, Pernella Sound, that Chip's Moman designed. And all of a sudden, because Willie's Willie, he's recording with everybody and anybody. So all the old timers that he used to work with, Farron Young comes in, Ray Price comes in, they all do it. But it's like, Willie's like, who do you got? I can do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think Connie... Nelson, his, his previous wife and Willie were in London and she went to uh, the Virgin Record store and was listening to stuff and heard Julio Iglesias and went back to Willie and said, you know, this guy's pretty interesting. So they had not met before. They didn't know each other. But Willie, hey, you know, come do this song. And I think it kind of flipped Julio out. You know, he came in with a, his, a, a limousine and bodyguards and all this stuff out to Perdon And there's Willie and all these people sitting around smoking pot, <laughs> dressed in, in cutoffs. And there's this guy right behind Willie that's always kind of looking there. That happens to be Daryl K. Royal, the former coach of the University of Texas Longhorns. Uh, football okay. Team, who is like, talk about Texas icons. <laughs> After he coached, hang out with Willie all the time. And he was all, they would play golf. Uh, and then when they go record, Coach Roy was always right behind Willie watching him and paying attention, and offering advice. Julio was probably wondering, who are these people and what's going on? I bet, yeah. <laughs> quite bad, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Look, this is about the same time Rick James is hanging out at Willie World. There, everybody, anybody, anybody, of, yeah. is, anybody <laughs> is beginning to make pilgrimages and Willie is welcome all comers. And the beauty of the Julio project is they brought their two radically different fan bases together willie at the time definitely the number one male vocalist in 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 the latin world period mm-hmm. and willie's you know next to god with after after all these albums and you know stardust is setting records as the longest running country music album ever on, on the charts so you know it was kind of so unnatural. It was a natural fit.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, you you mentioned albums. I want to make sure we 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 go to clip here and we get all these categories. In uh, the next category is classic albums. Does he have albums that are considered all time classics? And again, you know, seventy three studio albums solo. Uh, we could get stuck in this, so we can try to. Uh, look at this again yeah, from oh gosh, yeah. a, a rock perspective. We can look at, again at that because the Rolling Stone also had lists of the, of the 500 greatest albums. Do we think any of those uh, Willie albums popped up on the 500 greatest well, albums? Well, it
2: should. I mean, I'm not going to second guess Rolling Stone, and I, uh, God forbid that I do here. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I was part of a team a couple of years ago uh, at Texas Monthly Magazine. I was one of uh, five people that were part of a team that ranked all 141 albums that Willie Nelson had put out. 141, incredible. And, you know, yes, and I, already-
1: at that point, now since then, <laughs> yeah, well, was more. but yeah, uh, uh,
2: you know, there was kind of a general feeling it would be "Redheaded Stranger" as this album, or or you can maybe make the argument for "Stardust," but. Breaded Stranger, that was one where the worm turned and it, and it was a thematic album. But I fought and I actually got to write about the number one album on Texas Monthly's list and that was Phases and Stages, which was the second album Willie recorded for Atlantic Records and uh, Jerry Wexler. And would have been, it was starting to go up the charts when the Erdogans pulled the plug on Jerry Wexler and the label folded. So it never really got its chance, but to me... That's kind of it's it's a fully formed uh, concept album. It's a, it's about a divorce, a man and a woman, and and he writes it from both a male and female perspective, which is taken a big leap at that time. You think about it, and he get he, and he does it convincingly. But faces and stages should be on that. Uh, and as far as I know, I mean, I already talked this through with Texas Monthly. And we did a lot of arguing <laughs> in in our rankings, but Faces and Stages wound up number one. Number two was shot uh, was red-headed Stranger. So take your choice. I mean, right? I, would, I guess Rolling Stone said uh, Reddited Stranger.
0: And you're right. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I I think you you kind of explained why Faces and Stages, you know, makes a little bit more sense if you're really thinking about it. But this is a broad list including albums of artists of all stripes. So, it, "Redheaded Stranger" is on the list. It's at two thirty seven. And Stardust is it was also Stardust was on the original list. I think on the most recent list, it was not. But uh, mm. yeah, both those albums were on the original list. Uh, you know, "Redheaded Stranger" being the album that made him a star after over a decade of you know tepid success and being you know his most of his success coming as a songwriter, and then Stardust being the unexpected left turn you shouldn't do this he does it anyway and it's a big success this album of covers of of pop standards and it never stopped selling right and that's his that's his most successful at this point it's gone five times platinum uh and that's the one that, that Booker T produced but from your expert uh perspective you would phases and stages which didn't get, didn't quite it was like right before the big break but was part of that run of establishing concept albums, which was Mm foreign to the country world at that time, even though the rock world was Sergeant peppering and and doing all these uh, concepts. He did three
2: concept albums. I mean, the first one was in 71 and that was yesterday's wine and it was for RCA. And again, except for some hep cats in San Francisco, it flew over almost anyone's head. I started listening to, I was in Minneapolis then And I started listening to it. I think it was because Chet Flippo reviewed it in Rolling Stone. And it was like, you know, played it over and over again. And it made me homesick. And it was like, it was a great concept album. But Yesterday's Wine was concept. Faces and Stages was concept. And uh, Red-Headed Stranger was concept. And that's pretty deep. I mean, and, and each one is kind of a different theme. But to string songs together that way, no one was doing that. I mean, he was recording albums and people in nashville were recording singles and if they put out an album sandwich, sandwiching the a side and the b side with with filler that's right. that was the mentality
0: mm-hmm. um let's go to these we don't we would not have to spend a ton of time on these next categories because you can almost summarize them with a word or two critical acclaim yes beloved i mean he like you were just saying especially the fact that once he started making these concept albums and showing some depth i think that was very embraced by the critical community uh commercial success you know the there's a few statistics i saw something like 70 million records sold you look at his albums plenty of them are have gone platinum uh including some that have charted respectively on the pop charts uh and a lot of them peak at number 1 on the country charts or towards the top but then you know respectable numbers on on the uh, two, top 200, uh, for Billboard, and then uh, worth noting, wanted the Outlaws with with Waylon and, and Jesse Coulter was the first country album to go platinum. So mm. he was he was setting records as a country artist in terms of commercial success.
2: Yeah, music critics love him. Sit down with him. Wonderful person to talk to. Always open. You know, always answer pretty much all my questions that I ever had, and especially with the book, I was lucky that. He said he would talk to me. It was unauthorized, but you never know,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: especially when you're doing it unauthorized. And I went and saw the band do five days at the Fillmore in San Francisco so I could interview all the band and crew that I had for this book I was working on. And I went to thank him the last night on the bus. And he said, When are we going to talk? And I wasn't sure we were going to talk. I said, Whenever you want, right after the show. So I had to go, I missed the show. I had to go uh, back and get my stuff, go to the airport, dump my rent car. Come back and i got on the bus just as the show was over and before willie had carpal tunnel uh in the early 2000s he would stay to the last person to autograph if someone was in oh. line he would stay for him he wasn't doing that anymore when in, in uh, uh 2007 when i saw him at the fillmore so i got on the bus and the bus started rolling and after he and his sister ate breakfast that was cooked by willie's oldest daughter lana after they finished that we sat down around well, 11 o'clock and went till three in the morning. Wow. And trying to remember everything I wanted to ask him. And he smoked me under the table. Finally, he was like, I, forgot yeah. <laughs> I said, no, Moss, I give up. And no, we were, he said, we're in Santa Rosa, California. Uh, David Anderson's got your hotel room key here. Go there. I'm off tomorrow. So let's talk. Wow. And So I had oh, a wow. chance to go over my manuscript, everything that I'd had, And basically the next day, what I hadn't asked him the night before, he answered pretty much everything I asked. So that kind of openness, that's that person. You know, if he's guarded, it's the people around him that are guarded. That ain't Willie. Mm -hmm. And and similarly, Mm -hmm. he he did that with radio. Uh, In the 60s, he would always stop at the radio station. You remember the DJs. So when that that, uh, red-headed stranger came out and Blue Eyes Crying in the Rain was released by Columbia as a single there were a lot of disc jockeys that were more than ready to repay all the favors Willie had given them as far as being nice and open. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so that the relationships he's had with the press and with radio have been uh, one reason why he is who he is today and why today, after all these years, he remains very beloved by everybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, people that don't like Willie Nelson don't know who he is. I so, think
0: that's probably true. Uh, yeah, well, let's I, let's talk about the next category: longevity. Uh, just kind of to recap what we've already established here: first single in '57, first album in '62. You know, doing reasonably well in the country charts for what feels like a decade. Then becomes a huge success in '75 with "Redheaded Stranger," and then maintains his relevance. Uh, starts to have a successful crossover period in the '80s with "Always on My Mind" and Julio Iglesias and "We Are the World." And and, you know, in 1985, he's considered big enough to have a verse with the biggest names at that time.
2: And
0: I would say it's really not until he keeps us up, probably till the dawn of the 90s, which is when he kind of transitions into becoming a legacy act. Uh, But that's quite a run. Uh, Maybe as long as a run as we've uh, ever talked about about anyone, you know, the (laughs) idea that he like starts a legacy
2: act that is still putting out new music. He's not like, you know, his his relationship with producer Buddy Cannon kind of just defines his recordings in the two thousands. But they've got a pretty good system, and and you know, he's putting out product left and right. Yeah, I mean,
0: he's uh, prolific is an understatement. Uh, let's talk about the next category, influence. And I want to try and like obviously there's a there's a ton of influence in the country genre, but I want to see if we can pinpoint some rock and roll influence or or pop or just kind of beyond mm-hmm. uh, the, the world of country.
2: Well, everybody, go go look at that lineup for his ninetieth birthday at the mm-hmm. Hollywood Bowl, <laughs> and it's basically you know you're looking at a lineup of American music. You're not seeing just country acts. He transcended countries when he moved to Austin. And, you know, it was only yeah. it was, anything country after then was Nashville trying to grab onto what he's doing. He's off on his own. And uh, as far as influence, uh, uh, you know, Margot, the current crop people like uh, Margot Price, she, she hung out with him for a while. Now she's launched her own career uh, and has become very, very successful. There, there is just Time and again, he's always taken young people in and let them work with him and play with him. And I use an example, I mentioned him earlier, this kind of the latest is this guy, Charlie Crockett, who mixes all these different sounds. And is mm-hmm. uh, he's huge here right now in Texas. I don't know how he's doing in the rest of the country, but... Uh, the influence, he introduced the Owen brothers
0: at, at the Rockwell. It <laughs> rock was true. I mean, all, all you have to do, and uh, we do not have the time to do it, look at the I'm artists at, yeah. who, have co- who have covered Willie Nelson. Look at the artists who have duetted with Willie Nelson. It's a list of hundreds, maybe. I mean, I hesitate to say, like, does it reach the thousands? Just because it is it is so, so many artists. I mean, it, it, it's and, and that kind of bleeds into the next category, which is artistry slash skill. He's such a complete, not just songwriter, but singer, but artist. He's received every possible award leading up to the rock hall. I mean, Kennedy Center Honors, Gershwin Prize, Library of Congress gave him a lifetime award. He's on these Rolling Stone lists of songs and albums, but he's also on their list of great guitarists and great singers. Um, It just feels like regardless of genre, he's widely understood as authentic
2: Authentic is a word that uh, I mean it's it's not a loaded phrase. It's really you can't buy authenticity. Willie's authentic, and you know as far as the range, uh, I think of uh, Casey Musgraves and
0: Snoop Dogg
2: mm-hmm. are both under, <laughs> yes. in his orbit. Absolutely. absolutely, yeah,
0: totally, and they both um, recorded with him recently. So, mm-hmm. uh, last category is: Does my mom know who he is? I mean, Willie Nelson has been one of the most famous people alive for a very long time. Absolutely. Almost everybody knows who Willie Nelson is. And that's maybe the most important category. And what we when we look at these artists on the ballot, and you know there's a case to be made for everybody on this ballot this year. But when it comes down to it, often if you want to be a betting man and look at who's going to be inducted, you go with who has the biggest name recognition. And Willie has... Far and away, the biggest name recognition on this battle. I look at the list, and who's the one name superstar?
1: Yeah, right? he's the he's the Dolly of this year. He's the shoe in. He's the gonna. There's no doubt, no question. It's gonna happen. Of this well, year. I mean,
0: you're what? Let's do our verdict then. Let's. Yeah. Uh, we're we're there. We're already saying it. So sh- should he? My be verdict the- is you better. <laughs> <laughs> should he be in the hall? Uh, will he get in? And will it be this year? I mean, I think we're all in agreement. Yes, on on every count. And I would say, you know, Kristen and I were kind of on the fence for the for the should because of the things we we mapped out earlier about the hall it's establishing more just its If boundaries. I didn't know
1: anything about the hall, if I hadn't spent a stupid amount of time talking about it, good god why. But like if I didn't if I, as a lay person, I'd be like, yeah, sure. And also if you had talked to me five years ago. I wouldn't, I would have said, sure, whatever, who cares? Put whoever in, I don't care. And, but my only concern is just now, do we have to crowd the backlog? That's, I I don't, like I think it's going to be very fun to have Willie Nelson at the ceremony this year. I think it's going to be a, a, or next year, I guess, it's no, going to be a continuation of this year.
0: It'll a be a continuation
1: of his yes. 90th birthday celebration. It's going to be it's an event. It's very, well timed i it's in I the understand. hall's best
0: interests like
2: exactly you not like worry women. about the backlog i mean that's like you know that's that's your your second guessing it's like should this person be in or not yes or no worry about the other part that's for someone else to worry about no well, but the thing is we record I am the every
1: week who
0: we record an hour week. about the
1: rest we're the ones who now. have the time
0: to to worry about this stuff if yeah. no one else well Wayland should be right behind me. I'll, I'll say that
2: in uh in Merle. Chris, I don't know. Maybe.
1: Are you talking about Chris Gaines? I'm kidding. Uh,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it'll be very, it'll be very interesting to see where the hall goes after this, because you know, is this a trend or is this, you know, they're getting too right? Is this are they
1: just getting back to back iconic big name performers that are going to bring in some great guests and bring in new relevant artists as well get everybody excited to perform with them and that is something that willie brings and just thinking about him as like a um kind of you know rebellious figure in country music that's an very outlaw. rock and roll and outlaw outlaw country all that stuff i i came into this ready i knew i've been saying it for weeks we'll do this episode i'll change my mind and i did of course because obviously <laughs> he is like you can't, I can't make an equal argument because I was so pro Dolly, you know, but the one thing I kept saying with Dolly was this doesn't set a precedent. She's special. She's Miles Davis. Uh-huh. It doesn't mean we have to get everybody else in like this is that. And so I'm, I'm hoping that maybe this is just more a, another equally big icon.
2: Willie shared managers with Miles Davis. Wow. Wow. <laughs> They had the same manager early on. So <laughs> what a roster you know, when you say Miles, Willie's on that level. And mm-hmm. when you say Dolly, Willie's on that level. And so I wouldn't worry about the aftermath other than to say my hope is that when you think of the macro world of rock and roll, that it's as inclusive of this country end as it is on, on the rhythm and blues end, on soul end. Agreed. And country and western, rhythm and blues is what made rock and roll. And you got to acknowledge all that, you know, where it came from. And these these are branches, but they're they're all intertwined. Mm -hmm. So uh, you got to I mean, if it doesn't happen, uh, I don't know.
0: I'll be surprised. Uh, Yeah, I'll be surprised.
1: This
2: is this is it's happening. I wouldn't worry about it. I I would
0: would say I would
1: say the chances are he's got the best odds of anyone on the ballot any mm-hmm. artist he's like the
0: favorite he's the favorite the
1: favorite exactly um, now
0: so let's just say he gets in this year uh oh, yeah. who we gotta talk give, about this who should give the speech to induct him Ooh. uh there's there's a long list of, of people who could do it uh you could go the snoop dog route which is uh, almost funny in its well, novelty. I will novelty. also
1: say you bring in the Snoop Dogg route because Snoop is not on, he hasn't been on a ballot and he's not in the hall yet. Which we and see And he the is hall someone do. who is coming to, like huh. they often do that. His, his time will
0: come very have soon the person. And...
1: Exactly. He's about to get in in the next year or two, regardless. I can't believe no one drafted him. I guess we all just knew it wasn't happening yet. But like, I would say he's coming. getting in in it's the coming. next two years. I, I would be very surprised. Um, so that would be like a good... Moment like that's a good layup, exactly.
0: Um, but then there's also you know, there's artists like Neil Young, uh, he's inducted a lot of people. He hasn't been to the ceremony in a long time, but you know, the connection with Willie is strong. Farm and you know, they
2: well, Willie's kids are playing in Crazy Horse now.
0: Oh, wow! I mean, so oh, yeah, there's that conne-
2: yeah a, that's a pretty deep connection there, and of course, there's the, the farm aid connections of
0: Mellencamp or Dave, Dave Matthews John or... John
2: Mellencamp, they're old buddies. I don't know. How do you, um, it's,
0: it's, uh, you know, the, the kind of the new Dave Grohl, uh, which is the term we use for the <laughs> kind of industry person that the hall loves to use is Brandy Carlisle. That she's, is true. She's, she, the last two years, she's played a prominent role. Uh, she, she's she knows not that she it has a- of Willie connects their time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, you know, I would say I would probably propose Cheryl Crow if I didn't think she was also if she's gonna get in, yeah, <laughs> because she has played uh, with Willie many times. She's been at every birthday celebration. She has uh, done
1: many, many, many duets. How many was it? Thirteen.
0: It, it was. It was a lot. When we we tallied them up, it was close to ten. The only person Willie has not duetted with that he wanted to
2: du- duet with uh, is Barbara Streisand interesting Ooh. everyone else is he's kind of uh made the list i mean they've done it wow So, I, I you know they're all good infos and i think that's kind of a business
0: decision or who looks <laughs> best and who's you going to be are out.
1: right about that totally
0: it's a market you and, get the marketing. and name. i don't think
2: willie's going to be making that decision well nor will his, his manager uh, Mark, they'll Roth have some TV.
0: input, I bet. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it might not fully come down to them. It'll be a collaboration uh, between yeah, the producers so of the natural, ceremony.
2: Is oh, you got to have so and
0: so because then you're going to say, well, what about right? And that's Willie's problem. Everybody's his friend. Yeah, well, you can you can bring a lot of those people in for the performance because Willie will perform, he'll do three songs and you know, it's, he could do it by himself. And it'll but be a
1: Carol King style. He's going to bring out everybody or a Dolly style where it'll just be like him. Plus, at the very, plus, at the plus, very plus, least, plus, I'll plus. say
0: he's going to headline the ceremony and they will do a jam at the end with a lot of people. I would say likely doing on the road again. Go,
2: go uh, very watch some, some YouTube of this summer's past summers outlaw tour. It was a big cat package tour. And that's how every show would end up, and Willie would be leading, leading, you know, thirty people on stage. That's mm-hmm. that's Willie's wife. Right, it's gonna happen.
0: Groups. But if you had to pick a three-song set that, mm. in kind of encapsulated his career, and maybe you know, sometimes with an artist like this, they might try to uh, appeal to the the rock crowd a little bit, but sometimes not. They might What's even write
1: a song specially about that the Dolly wrote a rock
0: song spe- specifically for the occasion, which was very cute. Um, yeah, I would want to hear On the Road again.
3: Yeah, uh, it's a given. I also want given. to hear
2: Bloody Merry Morning because it's such a jam that everybody could get well, their lead. a
3: bloody merry morning, baby. Left me without warning sometime in the night. Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody on stage. Could get sure. It. Yeah. Uh, I, I know w- Willie likes to open his his concerts with Whiskey River.
3: Whiskey River, take my mind.
0: That's always a good one. Um, yeah, you know, but also you know
2: I like I like well, well hello, hello there. there when he goes into funny how time slips away. My, it's been a long, long time. But you know what? I would I would guess knowing what he does on his stage shows now, uh, the the rouser at the end of the set is I'll fly away, which mm. is an old spiritual song. Yeah. Be a good one to lead. You can lead a bunch of people in that song. Everybody singing. That's you know.
1: Yeah, you I get- mean that's well, also like got very gospel roots on it. So it really is going to depend on kind of like the uh, makeup of the uh, crowd uh, on
2: stage.
0: And, and yeah, who's there? Who's presenting? If we happen to have mm-hmm. some really so- solid soul singers, soul singers, exactly.
2: Well, I, I would uh, try to bring those out. And again, it's like uh, like Al Green doing funny. Yeah. Um, right.
0: Yeah. That, Something. That,
2: knock my socks out to see it again
0: uh well Joe thank you so much for joining us this was such a great talk uh you were the perfect person I think to talk Willie with so we appreciate you, you taking the time I want to give you the opportunity to uh plug whatever you want I, I mean the book is Willie Nelson an epic life you've also got the the radio show so uh plug away my friend
2: uh, that's it uh, look I'm I'm a I'm doing contract writing right now for Texas Highways magazine. Uh, you can find me in the 50th anniversary of Texas Monthly Magazine. And uh, every Saturday night, 7 to 9 Central, the Texas Music Hour of Power on Marfa Public Radio and Wimberley Valley Public Radio.
0: Can we access that online? I would imagine yeah. yes. Perfect. Yeah,
2: marfapublicradio.org, Marfa wimberleyvalleyradio.org. Easy to find, 7 to 9 Central, so whatever your time is. And you can actually find that my every week show, uh, is on my homepage of joe dot p.com.
0: Excellent. Well, that's Thank great. You. And yeah. I'm sure some of our listeners will will check that out. And of course, our listeners know they can follow us at rock pod on Twitter and Instagram. Rockallpod at gmail.com is an email. If you want Kristen to see your message, you need to say that somewhere because otherwise she doesn't want to read it. And we made a pact that I would not share it with her unless you say her name. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate review us five stars only. Anything less than five would be rude. Uh thank you to let Mike. Thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And uh, thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quazala.
1: I'm Kristen Studdard.
0: But who cares about the rock hall,
1: question mark, including country western?
0: As of now. (laughs)